Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, We've indicated that today we're going to try something a little different. We're going to spend some time in reflection. You may have noticed it on your worship guide as you came in. That's why we gave you one uh, this morning so you could follow along and get the flow of what we're doing today. And we'll come to that in a moment and I'm going to help you with that today. Uh, I do want to remind you about the survey that I sent out a couple of weeks ago in our church newsletter. I told you I wanted you to take a look at this survey called the State of Theology that a ministry has been tracking the beliefs of church-going people in America, people who identify as Christians. And if you took a look at that, you might agree with me that we'd call it the sad state of theology survey because it revealed that people who, who are Christians in America struggle year over year with having a set of beliefs that we would call biblical. And if you looked at the survey, it showed that probably a lot of people had some understanding of the law, a basic understanding, you do this and you don't do that. That's, that's what I get. But you might also have noticed that people had a harder time articulating who God is and what the gospel is about. Now, there's good news closer to home. If you followed along in the newsletter and went a little further in that email, then you saw we had a personalized version of that survey just for us. And the results would just be our results, and it was completely anonymous. And many of you took that, and I want to thank you if you took time just to participate in that. That was very encouraging, because one of the things that we noticed is that based on the answers you provided, we have a well above the national average relationship to sound doctrine, to to biblical teaching. And I want to give you some examples of this this morning. First example, on the national survey... The national survey, 43% of people agreed with this statement. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. You can see that. 43% of church-going Americans, people who consider themselves Christians, agreed with this statement. As opposed to our version of the study, less than 2% agreed with this statement. That's good. Uh, Of course, the problem with this statement is the part that it says he was not God, because Jesus claimed to be God. And if he's a great teacher, he would have missed that lesson altogether. He claimed to be God. His followers declared that he was God. In fact, the gospel requires that he's God because of the provision of salvation that he gives through his death and resurrection. It would be no good if he was not God, if he was just a man. And so we've got a great, you know, comparison to the national survey. Here's a second example I want you to see. On the national survey, 70% of people, big number, strongly agreed, not just agreed, but strongly agreed with this statement. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Maybe you can see something there that might not sound right to your ears. In our study, 9% of our survey said the same. And if you, you look at the Bible, what you find is that Jesus isn't created. The Bible says that he's creator, right? Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him all things were, somebody tell me, what does it say? <laughs> created, yeah. So he wasn't created, he was the creator, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things have been created by him, through him, and for him. And you go to the Gospel of John in the first chapter. John refers to Jesus as the Word. And this is what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and Jesus the Word was with God, and Jesus the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word Jesus became flesh, dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Jesus is God the Son. He was not created He's Jesus, the God, the Son. He's God, the Son, and He was always like that. He's always existed in that form 
for all times. There is no beginning, no end. That's why Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, because there was nothing before him and there will be nothing after him. He is all of it. That's how he is. Third example, from the National Survey, 51% agreed that the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force. Not a person, just a power, right? 5% of our survey agreed with this. And I want you to, to take time looking at this in your own Bibles. You find that the Bible gives us so much help in understanding that the Holy Spirit is not just this impersonal force or this power that we tap into or engage with, but he's a person. And we see that because all of the pronouns referencing the Holy Spirit, there's never an it it's always He, He, the Holy Spirit. And we find over and over again that the Bible says that He can be sinned against, He can be lied to, He can be obeyed, and we're to honor Him. And you don't obey a power, and you can't lie to a force, but you obey a person, and you can lie or choose to honor a person. Romans says that He has life. 1 Corinthians says that He has a will, and He is omniscient. When you get to 2 Corinthians, we find that every bit of transformation that you've ever experienced in your life, anything in your life that has helped you go from that old self to that new self, when you're becoming more like Christ, 2 Corinthians 3 says it's because of the Holy Spirit. This is from the Spirit who is the Lord. He's a, a person. Now, the reason, I, I just selected a few from the survey, but the reason that I sent you the survey really has less to do with did you get all of the right answers. That's a point. That's a purpose but my purpose in sending you the survey was more to stir up our minds about the things that we believe and why we believe them. And really to try to imitate in some ways what Peter has done in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 as we continue following along in our study. What he did is he's writing to all of these Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire who are facing very difficult times. And he writes to them and first reminds them that they have received faith by the grace of God. Then he says, for those who have received faith by the grace of God, you have been given in Christ everything that you will ever need to face. Anything that comes at you in this life, you have it. It's been given to you in Christ. And then last week we saw that he encourages the Christians not just to rest on something that Christ did once in our life, but to keep knowing God in a new and deepening and personal way day by day and grow in godliness. This is what Peter has been writing about and now I want you to see verse 13, where he goes next. He says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling. Verse 14, he says, I know that my death is imminent. So he says, I consider it right as long as I'm alive to stir you up by way of reminder. In other words, Peter says, I think the best thing that I could do with my remaining days, as long as I have them, as many as I have, is to stir up in you all of the things that I've been teaching you, all of the things that you are claiming to believe. And my hope is by stirring your minds and your affections for the works of Jesus and the promises of Jesus, that you would build more and more hope in the power of Jesus to be at work in your life so that when you wake up each morning and you go into your day, your life might be actually marked by the grace of God and the truth of God and by that new mind and that new nature and that new power that your life would actually be different and not the same that it was. So he's spending his time stirring their minds about their beliefs and this is what makes what Peter's doing so vastly valuable so infinitely valuable compared to any other teaching he's given is he talks about where his teachings have come from look at verse 16 he says when we were with you when we were doing ministry with you we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
In other words, all of the things that I have believed and all of the things that I have built my life on and all of the things that I have passed on to you and I've tried to teach you to believe these things too, they didn't come out of a theology book that I read one time and I thought that that sounded really good so I shared it with you. They're not ideals that I thought up one day about how I should live life and how I should know God and how you should go and do things. They were not a sales pitch that was cleverly designed by the marketing department of Jesus Christ and I passed them on to you and I sold them to you and you bought them. He says it wasn't cleverly devised tales that I passed along, but instead we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory we heard the voice it said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain and you may mark right there that holy mountain in verse 18 and right next to it in your notes Matthew 17 it's a historical moment it's a geographical moment it's a personal moment Uh, in a story that we call the the mountain of transfiguration where Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. Those are the only three that went with him up to a mountain. And in this place, it's almost as if the the flesh which he, he came into when Jesus came to earth was peeled back for a moment. And what they saw was the fullness of his glory that he had had for all time, from all eternity. It says that his glory blinded them. How glorious and how powerful Jesus was in that moment. And they heard the voice of God the Father from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he says, listen to him. It would be good for you to listen to him. And Peter, James, and John, just they didn't want to go. They just wanted to stay in that moment because it was so beautiful and powerful. And Peter says, listen, I was there. I saw Jesus. I saw his glory. I heard the voice. I saw it all. And that's how I know what power and what authority by which I've been saved. That's how I know what power and authority in which I live, even in the face of all the difficulties that are in my life. That's how I know what power and authority and glory in which Jesus will return for us when he comes again to wipe away every tear. Not because there was a good sales pitch by someone who makes a good argument and I was convinced, but because I know Jesus Christ. I encountered him in glory. And I want you to see what happens when someone encounters Jesus Christ. Verse 19, knowing Jesus like this, so we now have the prophetic word made more sure. Somebody say more sure. More sure. In other words, we had heard the prophecies about Jesus. Where where do the prophecies come from? They were written down in the scriptures. God gave his word to people and they became our scriptures about who Jesus is and about who we are and our need for him. He said, we had heard the prophecies, we had read the the prophecies, but when we encountered Jesus, it confirmed it over and over. He is who the word says he is. It confirmed it for us. And he tells the readers, you would do well to pay close attention to those prophecies, to everything that God has said about Jesus. Not necessarily what your pastor has said or to what God has said. Where do we find that again? We find it in the, the pages of our Bible. He says, you would do well to pay attention to what God has said about Jesus, just like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. In other words, you should hang these words of God that tell us what is really true 
like a lamp in front of you to guide you through the dark places of life, to guide you away from temptation, to, to steer you away from wrong paths and lead you on right paths until the day, in the language that's used here, when it says until the day dawns and the morning star arises, speaks in some sense to some of that revelation language that talks about the second coming of Jesus. That morning star arises when we know that all will be made right. But it also at the same time is speaking as it rises in your hearts to that first coming of Jesus and that encounter that you can have with him even now, which proves all of the prophecies that you can have now, a knowing, a deepening, and a personal relationship with Jesus that proves through all of the, the fake news and the false narratives in this world that he is the glorious one, he is the powerful one, and he is the one who gives life, and he gives it to all who cling to him. So this morning, the question that, that I have had in response to this text is about my set of beliefs. It's about the beliefs that I claim to have or those, I guess, the beliefs that claim to have me. From where do I have these beliefs? How have they come to me? And what's fueling those beliefs? Is it a clever argument, a clever tale devised by, by men? Was it because I went to school for this? Was it because my parents indoctrinated me in this? Or I read a, a certain you know, collection or genre of books throughout my life? Or is it because of the knowing and personal and deepening relationship that I have with the God of majesty? That has proved over and over the truth about who he is, about who I am, and about what he's doing in this world. And that's the question that I kind of want to put in front of you this morning. In response to a survey, in the response to a text, it's about your basic set of beliefs. And what's behind those beliefs and what fuels those beliefs. And I, I've told you that we're going to have a different kind of, of time to, today. Kind of a time of, of reflection, which I have found is something that's very rare for some of us. We're much less a reflective people than maybe we were in, in some generations past. And so I want to help with this this morning in creating space for reflection, a different kind of, of space for us to consider uh, our God and the God behind our beliefs. Uh, I want to invite you into a space where you can reflect on, on your relationship with the Lord this morning. I, I know that I've seen this about myself and I've observed it over the last nine years about our church. This is true about a lot of us, that we're, we're very clicked in with our heads, that we're a very strong thinking church. Do you know what I mean by that? And that's a good thing. It means your head is in the game when it comes to your, your faith and your relationship with the Lord. It's a great thing, but it's one way of knowing God. And the Bible talks about other ways of knowing God. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but the Bible talks a lot about our souls, about our hearts knowing God. And so this morning, I want to invite you to open the sanctuary doors of your heart. And that sounds strange, so I want to help you with that this morning. And I'll help that by talking a little less and, and maybe allowing us to have a little more silence than we're used to. I'll help you with that because I think a lot of us live a little lost in the noise a lot of the times in our lives. I don't know if you relate to the feeling of being lost in the noise. I want to invite you to surrender this morning. I want to invite you to surrender control of the next few moments. Not to me, but to the Lord. And I want to invite you to trust the Lord with this time. Trust that 
he is here and is ready to meet with you. And he has something to say, not just to your head, but to deep inside your soul, to your heart. And I want to invite you to let go of your preconceived notions about what this experience might be like. To let go of our normal conventions and how we typically do a Sunday morning worship service as a church. And surrender and trust and letting go are all things that Jesus is always inviting people to do when you read the scriptures. Isn't that right? I want to invite you to take a couple of deep breaths now. I want to remind you that God is with you right here and right now. I want to remind you of Psalm 145. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. The Lord is near. I want to remind you of Psalm 73. It says, the nearness of God is my good. Let that resound in your mind. The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. God is present with you here and now. The God who knows you. The God who loves you. The God who saves you. God who keeps you. Over the next few moments, we'll take our time. This may not be comfortable for all of us. There'll be four prompts that come to the screens, one by one. And with each prompt, there's an invitation. The invitation isn't to the hard work of mental processing. That's where I go when I see a a question or a prompt. But it's an invitation to commune with God, to meet with the living God. This time isn't about me telling you what to believe. This time isn't about a survey telling you what you should believe. This time is about you knowing you're welcome here and you're welcome in God's presence through Christ. That you're welcome to meet with the living God who loves you, who desires to hear your voice. It's an invitation for that small, still voice inside of you, that inner voice, those inner thoughts to come out from that place that maybe they hide sometimes and to begin to feel safe before the Lord. So we'll have four prompts this morning. And as they come up, I invite you to meet with the Lord.